Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Scott Luton with Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's episode. We've got a great show lined up. We're continuing our series today that we like to call the Now Generation, right? Where we sit down with lifelong learners, students, educators from some of the leading supply chain management programs in the world. So with that said, I want to introduce our panel today. I'm going to start with Joseph Agresta, Assistant Professor of Professional Practice at Rutgers Business School, global business leader with almost 40 years of experience with uh, out there in, in global supply chain with companies like Johnson & Johnson, Allied Signal. So Joseph, great to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. Really looking forward to it. You bet. Uh, your ears may have been burning because we've heard lots of good things about you. So we'll touch on that here in a moment. Okay, great. <laughs> um, all right. So joining Joseph, we've got Nikki Gaboff, a recent graduate of Rutgers, where she earned both a Bachelor's of Science in Supply Chain Management and a Master's of Science in Healthcare Analytics and Intelligence. How about that? So Nikki serves as a graduate assistant at Rutgers, and she recently completed a supply chain internship at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Nikki, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. All right. So to, to uh, round out our panel here today, Nikki and Joseph both are joined by Haley Carlson, also a recent graduate of Rutgers, where she earned her under, undergraduate degree in supply chain management. Now, she's currently, much like Nikki, uh, she's currently earning her master's at Rutgers, uh, also in healthcare analytics and intelligence. Man, these, these, <laughs> they've got the, the thing going here today. So now she currently, Haley currently serves as a specialist, global site services, procurement, governance, and analytics with Merck. Haley, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Scott. You bet. Man, I can only imagine how difficult all of your classes were with what y'all majored in. And I can't wait to learn from uh, Haley, Nikki, both of y'all, and of course, Joseph here today. So, where we want to start then, before we get into the, the heavy lifting maybe, let's learn a little more about all of y'all, kind of on a, on a human level. So Nikki, let's start with a universal question. Nikki, where did you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I moved to Madawan, New Jersey when I was around 15. So, Okay. All right. It was so, an interesting switch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, what? so grew up in Brooklyn uh, and then spent maybe your high school years and beyond in New Jersey. What uh, I bet it's got to be so cool growing up in a in a city like Brooklyn, of course, with the backdrop of of New York City. What was one of your favorite parts of growing up in one of the world's greatest cities? Yeah, I think that having my family all really close, um, my grandma, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins. So being able to grow up and live so close, and my cousins were all really close to my age. So being able to grow up and have that support system around me, I think, was really cool. 
uh, a lot of things were just really close. Um, I was able to walk a lot of places and do a lot of things. And I think that was kind of the biggest adjustment moving to New Jersey is everything isn't so close to each other, so easy to get to. You more have to get into a car or something of the sorts. But <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I went into Manwa, New Jersey halfway through high school, actually. So my okay. first two years of high school were in Brooklyn. My second two years were in Madawan. So that was definitely different. Um, my high school in Madawan was, I think, about a quarter of the size of my high school in Brooklyn. Wow. Okay. So that was definitely an adjustment for me. <laughs> So uh, big fish in a big pond to big fish in a small pond, smaller pond at least when you moved, huh? Right, yep. <laughs> um, all right, well, what I'm going to do, we're going to find out where everybody's from, and then I'm going to circle back. I'm going to give you all a heads up because we love talking food here at Supply Chain Now. I'm going to get your one favorite dish growing up, okay? So, Nikki, uh, stick tight. We're going to come back to you on that question. Haley, let's move right along. So where, where did you grow up, Haley? Born and raised North Jersey. A uh, small town called Ringwood. It is pretty much upstate New York, but in NJ territory. In the woods, hiking, fishing, anything you can think outdoors is where we grew up. Okay. Home of the Taylor ham, egg, and cheese. It's a very controversial uh, topic in New Jersey. It's not pork roll, it's Taylor ham. But yeah. What makes it controversial? <laughs> There's a discrepancy between North Jersey and South Jersey if it's Taylor ham or if it's pork roll. Okay. Okay. Um, well, thank you for giving me a heads up. I don't want to <laughs> offend anybody as we talk food here today. Um, all right. One, one more quick follow-up question for you, Haley. Uh, so all everything outdoors, did you play any sports? Yeah. I played soccer growing up on the travel team for my uh, town, and I'm an avid hiker still to this day. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Uh, love the picture you're painting there. Okay. So Nikki and Haley... Uh, let's talk about uh, Joseph. Let's find out where you grew up. So I am a New Jersey born and raised and proud of okay. it too, right? So I grew up <laughs> I grew up in Bergen County in a town called River Edge, suburb of New York, and um, got married when I got right out of college, and I actually moved to Ringwood. So I uh, live up in the hills as well. And it's interesting because even though we're maybe 25 minutes from where I grew up, when you have to go over the mountain and the terrain changes, I thought my parents were going to have a heart attack when we bought a little log cabin up here uh, when we first got married. But um, it's been a great ride. It was a great upbringing in River Edge. Um, my God, just to have all of... Just tons of kids around you all the time oh. to play ball, to do whatever. It, it was just a really great upbringing. So really fortunate, Man, really like fortunate it. there. Well, uh, we're going to circle back with you on, you, you have moved mountains out in the industry, uh, and now you're teaching others how to move move their own mountains. So I'm gonna, we're going to learn more about your background here in just a minute. But as I mentioned, and as Haley already kind of let some of the cat out of the bag, let, let's get one, let's go around the horn, and Nick, I'm come back to you first. Growing up in Brooklyn and then New Jersey, what's one food dish, uh, or maybe even name of a restaurant, whatever your preference is, that was a big part of your upbringing? Uh, the first one that comes to my mind is specifically um, L&B Spumoni Gardens in Brooklyn. 
Uh, it's like a pizza place, but they have like a famous square slice that my family goes crazy for. Like every time we're in Brooklyn, even now to go visit family, it's always a stop on our way there or back that we have to either go and eat there or bring some back. It's always just like the first thing that comes to our head whenever we're nearby. So that even since I'm little, that's always been like my favorite meal probably to this day to ever have. <laughs> Love that. And and you had me sold. Uh, so uh, next time I'll be looking for that uh, on our next trip up. Um, Haley, you've already mentioned uh, the, the pork roll versus the ham sandwich, if I said it right. It sounds like there's a couple camps. Is that right? Yeah, it's called Taylor Ham. It's the brand of pork okay. roll. Um, it's a uh, staple in New Jersey, breakfast bagel, um, salt, pepper, okay. ketchup. It's not my favorite food, though. <laughs> okay. It's just something What's your favorite? I feel like has to be said about New Jersey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite thing growing up was um, Norwegian waffles. And that's different from Belgian waffles or normal ones because it has the cardamom spice in it that's typically used in most of Southeast Asia. So, yeah, every Christmas, um, again, we have to have it. Uh, kind of like a family tradition. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's funny. I used to listen. I got I to gotta look up what radio show this was on Sirius XM. But there was a um, radio show that, that, that spoke about a certain type of pork roll on every show. It must have been sponsored by it. I'm going to go look that up. So, Haley, thank you. That's going to be uh, eating at me away over the next hour or so, trying to figure out who that was. Um, okay, so Joseph, round us out. What, what's one thing that was uh, a big part of your upbringing? Uh, pasta. Love it and still do. And I want to share something with you because it's interesting you ask. On my desk is a picture you can't see. This is my grandfather and myself eating pasta in the summer outside. So most people barbecue. We were eating spaghetti outside. I wish you could actually see this, but this is literally on my desk, and I look at it every day. So uh, big part of my upbringing. I love that. And what we'll try to do, if we can get that scanned in and get it of the Justin, we'll see if we can't work that into uh, a video podcast. That's awesome. Special memory. Um, Okay, so now that everybody's starving, we're going to talk supply chain. Nikki and Haley, I'm going to ask y'all in just a second why supply chain for y'all. But before I do, Joseph, just to level set with all of our listeners, um, can you briefly tell us, you know, you spent almost 40 years out in industry uh, in, in global supply chain leadership roles. If you can give us a few bullet points around what you did and what you currently do at Rutgers. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I started my career at what was then Bendix, which became Allied Signal, um, started out in sourcing. You know, back in the day, 40 plus years ago, they didn't call it supply chain. You know, it was materials management or logistics right. or, or what have you. And that's where I started. I spent 20 years at Allied Signal and got great opportunities to, to grow. Um, in my, you know, my making was I always wanted to, to lead. So, you know, it was learn complexity and then lead the group. Learn more complexity and lead a more complex group. So I had a lot of different mm-hmm. assignments in what was then materials management, running uh, single unit materials management groups, but then multi-unit materials management groups. And the last five years or last four or five years at Allied Signal, to me and for anyone in supply chain, I think you always have to try to get on the customer side of things. And um, I made a switch where I became a uh, product line leader for very complex guidance systems uh, that Allied Signal Aerospace made and led an operations team, integrated product team, and led the product line. And it was nothing like getting on the customer side 
uh, of the business. And I think that really helped me. Then after 20 years, I got a call from Johnson & Johnson, and they were looking for someone to lead their supply chain in one of their uh, businesses, orthoclinical diagnostics. And I loved what I was doing at Allied Signal, but you know, there was something in me, believe it or not, that I always wanted to go to Johnson Johnson. I knew it was like a cradle-based company and all that good stuff. And when they came calling, it was a hard decision to make, right, to, to switch over. But the good thing about going to J&JA is the culture at J&J. I got a chance to be more on the global supply chain side of things mm. as opposed to at, at Allied was more domestic. Um, right. So had various roles in, um, you know, running that supply chain uh, for orthoclinical, then Ethicon. And one thing, and probably Len will, will talk about or alluded to it as well, category management is a big part of J&J. Well, because I had gone through implementation of the same thing with some great thought leaders at Allied Signal, they asked me to run the operating model team for category management. And so I did that, um, and it still stands today, although it's been refined and it's gotten better, right. but we put the baseline in that still stands today. And then I moved on to be the uh, head of procurement for uh, Janssen Pharmaceutical Supply Chain Sourcing, one of the best assignments I ever had. And I rounded out my career in more of an enterprise role, working with my peers across the supply chain uh, in what we call product supply execution, um, led process excellence teams, risk management teams, kind of the creation of centers of excellence in some of mm. these areas. So that was my career at J&J. &J. And then it was time, you know what, I think it's time to give back. Um, and I had a, just an amazing opportunity to, to come to Rutgers to be able to, uh, to give back. And that's really where I'm at now. So I'm assistant professor. I was the interim director of the healthcare analytics group. Uh, responsible for the experiential learning piece of things. And I also lead a team of graduate students um, and project students who work with the state of New Jersey and major companies on increasing diversity spend in the state of New Jersey. So that's a really, uh, really great assignment as well. So they, they have you do a lot more than just teach at Rutgers, but that keeps <laughs> you kind of eye on what the heck is going on out there. So it's very helpful. So I'm very fortunate. It. Well, I look forward to when the book's coming out because, Joseph, I bet you've got lots and lots of stories. Well, I got stories. I don't know if they can go in a book, but they got, I got stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, Haley and Nikki is laughing a little bit, so I bet they've heard some of your stories in, in, uh, at school. Um, but you made an earlier point when you moved from Allied Signal, if I've got this right, from Allied Signal to Johnson yeah. & Johnson. It was a tough move for you. But you mentioned um, your love for continuous learning to go from domestic supply chain manager, yep. I'm not taking anything away from folks that specialize there, to global, mm -hmm. a global role, there's lots of different complexities yes. and nuances there. So I bet that was a big learning uh, uh, part of your career. Yeah, it sure was. And um, and it was that 20 years at J&J &J that spent most of my time on the, on the global side of things. So it was great. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it. Okay, so and we're gonna hold you too. We're gonna we're gonna see that book. Okay, I mean, you got you so got much it. to share, and I love, <laughs> I love, and I love your give back there because uh, you know Haley and Nikki, and I bet so many other students at Rutgers uh, has have really benefit benefited from all that you did in industry, all that you did well, and and maybe I bet you share some of the things. You know, we all make mistakes. Uh, what we what we share that with others so they don't make the same mistakes. So I love that. Um, so let's. So Nikki, I want to circle back to you here. Um, 
so why supply chain? Why did you say, hey, man, this supply chain management, that's where I want to spend my time and, and, and build a career out of. Why, why supply chain for you? Yeah, so when I was declaring a major in the business school, I tried to do as much research as I can on all the different majors just to kind of get a better understanding of what I was going to be spending most of my time in before declaring. So my dad actually works in logistics and distribution, so I did have a little bit of supply chain knowledge just from him and his day-to-day, just seeing a little bit of it. So I did have that in the back of my mind. And then I think just through doing more research, the supply chain program stuck out to me the most just because I grew to learn how versatile it was and how, you know, supply chain is in so many different fields and industries. It's not like just one thing. So I think that's where my interest kind of grew when I learned more about that and how I can go into so many different areas within supply chain. It's not just one specific field or industry. I love that, Nikki. And I love, I love the, uh, the role your, your dad had. Um, uh, learning from him. I bet your conversations with him can look a lot different now uh, versus <laughs> yeah, when you're definitely. in high school, right? <laughs> yep. Um, all right, and, and I love the the diversity of experiences you mentioned that's so available in the, in the supply chain profession. Uh, Haley, same question to you. Why supply chain? Well, I got to be honest with you, Scott. I did not do a lot of research. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's an interesting path to how I got to supply chain. Um, I think the first thing I have to mention is the minimal research I did is that this program was top two on the garters list when I decided to declare this major. And knowing that it was such uh, an attested for program that people really saw its value um, nationwide was huge for me, knowing that it was right there for me at Rutgers. I actually started uh, my first semester at Rutgers as a transfer student from a county college, and I was in the School of Health and Sciences. So I was going to be a biology major. Um, But when I saw how I could connect to the more business side of impacting from healthcare as a supply chain uh, professional, I really thought that's how it clicks, that's how everything aligns, um, because one, I'm horrible at math, have to put that out on the table. (laughs) (laughs) And two, I really like helping get to that final product or that final service. And supply chain has so many different components. You can do logistics, you can do purchasing, you can do the strategies and risk. Um, So seeing how many options I had to change and grow in my career path and not make a decision that's going to hold me down for life and say accounting or something along those lines is what really interested me into starting in supply chain. Love that. Um so Joseph, it's, it's interesting just to hear Nikki and Haley and kind of their different ways of finding supply chain. I think it's so reflective of the industry because there's so many folks from all sorts of walks of life, professional and otherwise, that find careers in global supply chain in different ways. Joseph, what comes to mind as you hear kind of why supply chain and their answers from Nikki and Haley here? Well, I think the thing that, you know, probably obviously they come they came from it from a different place, but I think the common denominator is that they had a chance to really have a depth and a breadth. You know, I think, you know, that seems to be the common denominator in what they said. So, you know, supply chain in the olden days was very internally focused and, you know, within the four walls, if you will. And yep. today, it's incredibly, it's incredibly different. It's outside and inside. And as a matter of fact, when you're a leader in the supply chain, it's about outside-in thinking. So how does the outside-in thinking make you a better inside? And I, I think the common denominator from what I'm hearing is that that was the exposure, although maybe they didn't know in detail all the different elements, but that was the exposure 
that they were going to get. And I think they also, knowing them a little bit, you know, they also have an operational mindset as well. And they have a project management orientation just in their DNA, if you will. And I think that they saw, and they are seeing now, I hope, that those skill sets are really critical in making an impact in, in an enterprise. So I, I think that's the difference, different ways they got in it. But I think a sing, you know, a common denominator for for both of them. Yeah, well said. And also, Haley, um, I loved your uh, passion for kind of the final outcome. You know, uh, and that's man, you can find that by the truckload. Those types of opportunities to shape that final outcome in global supply chain. Um, okay, so I want to move move right along here, and Nikki, I'm gonna circle back with you here first as we get everyone's take here. What's you know, it goes without saying. I'm going to say it anyway, these last three years, of course, um, we're all familiar with what we all have, have, have fought through, but the silver lining is is how that has shaped industry in so many ways and how it will truly make it better, a, a stronger, I hate using the word was it resilient because it's so cliche, but it's, it's so accurate here, right? We're going to be better off from learning from these tough lessons uh, over the last few years. So Nikki, What's one thing, as you survey global supply chain right now, what's one topic that really is, um, that you're focused on? So right now, something I've been following is uh, the chip uh, shortage that's going on in manufacturing. I'm in the market for a new car, so maybe that, that's why I'm following it a little closer. But I think that's something that I've been following kind of since the pandemic, seeing how that shortage has affected for so long now, has affected the car industry. Um, and just seeing how through like 2021 and 2022, how there's so much less inventory being available or less features being available on cars. Uh, and I was recently reading how in 2023, they're starting to kind of grow um, that manufacturing in the chip industry, but it's a slow process. It's not something that happens overnight. So there still will be some of those lingering effects going on within the um, automobile industry in their inventory levels. But it is getting better little by little. But yeah, I've definitely been watching that as I look for a car. <laughs> I, I love that. I love how you brought it brought it all back to you as a consumer. I, I think that's, that's some of the more powerful ways that we learn, um, whether you're in supply chain or not. And one other thing about computer chips, because I just read it uh, in less day or two, Intel's CEO was recently quoted in an interview with, uh, I think, CNN Business, that, you know, oil has dominated geopolitics as a factor the last 50 years. And in, in the Intel CEO, um, I can't remember his name right off, but anyway, he said that it's going to be uh, the semiconductor chips that will dominate it over the next 50 years, or at least will be more important than oil. And that, that's going to be a, you know, uh, that's that, that's an arguable comment perhaps, but you, what you can't argue with, to your point, Nikki, is, is now that we have technology everywhere in everything, from your shoes <laughs> to your refrigerator, I mean, yeah, who, where the chips are made, ensuring a nice, healthy supply is going to be really important. And, and good luck, Nikki, on your car purchase. You'll have to let us know what Thank you selected. You. <laughs> okay, so starting with there, Haley, what about you? When, you? when you survey global supply chain, what's one topic that you're tracking more than others right now? I mean, there's a topic I'm trafficking more than others, but really when you talked about COVID in the past three years, the first thing that hit my mind that I deal with every day is um, working from home. 
you can see I'm not in an office right now. I'm in the middle mm. of my work day. And I have a global team. So how it has increased and improved drastically from the beginning of COVID till now, how I can communicate with my stakeholders and business units globally has been amazing. The ability to reach them with different platforms, Zoom, WebEx, Microsoft Teams, it's fantastic. Um, that was just a little sidebar. I think the main topic that I'm trafficking right now as it relates to my job is the energy crisis that's going on in Europe. A lot of our manufacturing sites, and I know it's not just my company, are suffering greatly due to the inflation of the energy and as well as the shortage of it. So learning how to um, use your resources as best as possible, uh, follow lean practices, and tracking when we're going to see some sort of relief there is something that's really important to my job, but also my colleagues and friends in Europe who have to heat their personal homes. So well said. And, and um, you know, it's easy to lose sight sometimes of different challenges that different parts of the world are facing. But I appreciate you bringing that up. And going back to your first point, um, you know, the working from home, man, the convenience that that's offered so many folks. You know, I live in the Atlanta area, metro Atlanta area. And, you know, not commuting in to our studio in town, man, some days that was an hour and a half drive easy, right? Um, but on the flip side, I think, and Joseph would love for you to not only get, hear what you're tracking, but also get your comment here. I think on the flip side, or one other thing to consider is is how that's kind of also adjusted uh, our approach to managing and leadership and some of the uh, uh, unique challenges that, uh, and different ways we've got to make that adjustment to, 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 to make sure we're being effective for everybody in that regard. Yeah. Just a your comments about the work from home shift. Yeah, that's a, um, you know, I grew up as a, you're in the seat, you know, you go in and you sit in the seat and that was my orientation. You didn't get out of your seat until it was time to go home, right? That kind of thing. <laughs> that's the way it was, right? Um, I definitely think to Haley's point, it has made the global ecosystem more accessible. There's no question about that. And I think that you have to build the ecosystem, right? And so that, you know, if you really, you can really take advantage of this remote from home, like Haley talked about, uh, by creating your ecosystem. At the same time, I do believe that we need more of a hybrid approach. Mm. Um, to be able to sit in a room, solve problems together, um, and sometimes that's spontaneous. I think the challenge with remote working, which is, you know, you can create the ecosystem, everything is very controlled and timing is very controlled. When can I see you? When can you get on? As opposed to sometimes problems hit in the supply chain immediately, and you can assemble the team and you can assemble the engineering team and the supply chain team and whatever. So I think we need to have more of a hybrid approach, really. Some remote, some coming together in a hybrid fashion. I mean, we are human beings, so I, I do think that's important. But I think it's here to stay. I just think now we have to create the, the balance for that. Yeah. I, I just, I feel very, very, uh, very, very strongly about that. You know, just to maybe digress a little bit. Hey, it, but before, Joseph, right before you do, yeah. if I can add just one quick comment, because it, 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 everything's inter, interrelated here. Going back to Nikki's comments around the chip industry, yep. you know, there's a phrase that's really given rise the last, um, I don't know, decade or so, the digital divide, right? Um, for, for a portion there during the pandemic, um, many folks, including me and, um, and my wife, Amanda, we homeschooled our kids for about a year, right? And we were fortunate 
to have you know technology and internet and stuff at home and devices. But as the digital divide suggests, there's so many folks that didn't have that yes. option, and and there's so many different definitions of the digital divide. You know, it's not all. It's not uh, only a small part of it is lack of supply. Sadly, in many ways, it's it's lack of access, which you and Haley both were um, uh, addressing. So. That digital divide, we got to keep it front and center uh, to to meet folks where they are, make sure they have what they need, and they're not left behind in this digital era we live in. Um, Joseph, you were about to. No, digress. I was just going to say. Me I mean, in. I was just going to say that um, you know, I think both Haley, Nikki, really touch on great things, and to and to make that ecosystem. Um, when you're living in a global supply chain as well, sometimes you have to be in the region at times, and things like that. And I do think that's become important. And in my career. One of the most things that was most beneficial to me in the supply chain was building peer-to-peer relationships mm. outside of where I lived. So peer-to-peer relationships in China, in South America, wherever it is. And I think that's something that even in the remote world, companies or enterprises need to ensure that people in the supply chain can build those personal peer-to-peer relationships as well in the regions of the world. I do think mm. that's really important. And I just, I know it helped me quite a bit in, in my career. Um, so I just wanted love to that. touch on that a little bit. Joseph, I love that. There's an old saying called, um, dig your well before you're thirsty. And whenever, and I love relationship building, the importance of it. It's difficult to build those relationships when you, when you need them to solve a problem, right? You got to be proactive. So I love your comments there, uh, Joseph. Um, if I can, really quick, I want to circle back to Nikki and Haley. Uh, you know, Joseph shared some great. Uh, Joseph and Haley both shared some interesting perspective there around uh, the workforce flexibility, work from home, and kind of the shifts we've seen there. Um, Nikki, your thoughts. Um, do you, do you prefer working from home or do you prefer being in an office or your thoughts here, Nikki? Yeah, I definitely agree with Joe. I think that having that mix is really important. I think that there's a lot that can be done and a lot of um, pr- productivity that can happen being at home. But I think that I've also benefited a lot from having that in-person experience. Um, over the summer, my internship with Johns Hopkins, I was in the office four days a week one day off. So it was a little bit of a hybrid. And I think it was really important for me because having that hands-on experience for a lot of the days of the week and kind of seeing a lot of the processes in person, I think was just overall a really good learning experience for me. And then the parts that maybe weren't so necessary to be in person, having that off-site experience as well was really good. Just a lot of convenience that comes with that. So yeah, I think just having that mix is something that's super beneficial for most places. That kind of that, that hybrid you're speaking to. Hey, let me give you the last word on kind of working from home and and your final thought here. It definitely brought some challenges as well. I have to agree. I think that I, I'm saying that the new normal is becoming finding that balance, and it's so critical. I definitely um, extended the breadth right of reaching these places that we didn't have access to, um, having systems be conjoined into one global system. But that personal touch, that meeting those people in the office and getting to sidebar with them and create those relationships that you may not have gotten through that one inch picture on the screen is um, invaluable for sure. Well said. and Joseph, I'm coming to you next sure. to, to, to hear what else you're tracking out there. Before I do, you know, I've been in a remote work for, I've been in a, in a remote role, I think since 2015 or 2014. 
And and so I remember thinking to myself prior to, you know, prior to the pandemic, just how challenging it is for me to kind of build that rapport with with colleagues and team members in in a remote environment because I really I love the water cooler moments, I love the war room moments, I love you know, I was a metal stamping for a stretch, and and we had some very complex problems from time to time. And man, we bring in everybody yep. uh, from you know manufacturing to supply chain, you name it, and and, and figure out what we're going to do using whiteboards and and um, blueprints, all this stuff. And I really fit off that. But as we all do in life, you had to evolve and shift and and adjust your approach. And now I, I you know, the convenience of what it offers, right? As long as all your team members are you know they're uh, fulfilled and satisfied. The minute convenience is pretty tough to beat. So, mm-hmm. uh, but Joseph, um, I really and I appreciate everybody's perspective here around a, a, a one of the the issues of our time for sure. Um, what else apart from work from home and and workforce management and and some of the cool things we're seeing there? What's one other thing that you're tracking? Yeah, so I think from a post COVID perspective, how are companies looking at their value chain? So, you know, I look at the value chain kind of three levels. One, you know, the the top level is really understanding your products in whatever market. And I think you have to understand those marketplaces and understand what kind of products. Do you have more mature products or are you trying to drive innovative products? So that's the first part. So how are are companies, are they beginning to to look at that? I think that's that's one thing. The other thing, and I'm going to touch on this because Haley and Nikki both mentioned it, what are those key processes that we really need to work on in our enterprise in this post-COVID world? I think that's really, really key. And then again, okay, how does that all connect to the end-to-end side? But if I were to break it down, I'd kind of look at that, what are those key processes at that second level? Haley, Nikki mentioned it, risk management. How are comp- What is the risk culture in the companies? How are supply chains looking at risk, anticipating risk? And, you know, quite frankly, you know, we use the word resilience And as you mentioned, and it's kind of cliche now, but I think in the supply chain, if you look at risk management, you can be very proactive and use things to your competitive advantage. And so resilience becomes not necessarily winding up that you you wound up where you started, but you actually wind up better than what you started because you started things, whether they be an e-commerce or supplier relationship or those types of things. So I think risk management, what are companies doing in risk management? An underlying theme, but also separate, is how are companies looking at demand? Look at the chips, right? How did, you know, did we miss the, how are we looking at demand? Customer demand is changing based on a lot of those variables. So how do you put all of those variables together. So the risk management. And then the third thing I would say is how are companies reevaluating their networks? Post-COVID, it was, well, we're not going to be global anymore because that's too much of a, a challenge for us. So how are you looking at your networks now? Do you want your networks to be uh, region specific, those types of things? So risk management, demand management, network all rolled up into understanding your value chain to, to me are the things that I'm looking at, also trying to share with the students in the classroom at Rutgers as well. 
All right, Joseph, I, I feel like uh, I may have just earned a certification. I love that that, that three point uh, three points that uh, you're tracking in, in in industry. And Nikki and Haley, Nikki, let's start with you. What what's the thought that comes to mind as you as we heard there? You know, connecting the dots, uh, uh, how companies are viewing demand, uh, their processes, how the industry is changing and evolving. What, what comes to your mind, Nikki? Yeah, I think those are all really good points, but something that definitely stuck out to me was the whole risk management aspect of it. You know, obviously COVID was definitely unprecedented. No one could have expected something like this to happen. So I think it just showed how important risk management really is and how it's all around us. And, you know, the better companies work to minimize that risk, the better position they'll be in going forward. And I definitely got nostalgic thinking about the risk management class um, (laughs) that we had together. That was one of my first classes uh, with Joe as my professor. So definitely started thinking about some concepts from that too. But yeah, overall, I think just having forecasting when it comes to demand and trying to have as much of a robust system as possible when it comes to that stuff is just going to put companies uh, in a better position going forward and have that competitive advantage as well. Man, Nikki, very nice. Okay, so Haley, what comes in your mind between Joseph's comments and what Nikki just shared? Your thoughts, Haley? That is what's happening. It is the supply chain now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry to be cliche, but truly it is what's (laughs) happening with uh, the workforce and supply chain. I can say from my company, from companies of my colleagues in my network, This is um, on everyone's minds. Um, Consolidating and understanding the mitigation plans for the risk that was already there, doing something about it proactively is now the main focus of many companies alike. Um, We are reducing the way that we're working. You know, again, I mentioned about um, the breadth of now this global reach and what we can do to correct it and make it better and continuously improve. Um, I feel that everyone now is taking a look at all of the different systems and ways they were working and combining them. Um, With that comes the risk mitigation. What are the outcomes? What is the adjustment period? And I think right now most companies are going through that. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Scott, if I may just Please. add to that, what, what Nikki and, and Haley mentioned, I, I want people to think about risk management as sometimes the connotation is that it's almost negative. Oh my God, let's prepare for the worst right. and, you know, and okay, right? And let's have those plans. It's a positive. Right. Because the proactive way, you know, of combining what a company wants to accomplish and getting started on some of these things. Um, If, in fact, something happens like the pandemic, you can build on that vision that you were already working. So I'll give it just a quick example. Companies that were putting money, let's just say, into e-commerce, right? And that was part of their direction that they wanted to go as a company. When the pandemic hit, they they now had the momentum, if you will, to be able to accelerate that. And you will see some companies who maybe went from 30% e-commerce sales to 60% during the pandemic. Yes, buying behavior changed, but they were not starting from scratch. So I I really think that the risk side of things, you know, companies also need to look at it as um, how do we use that as a competitive advantage as well? And and so all those things come into it. Completely agree. Completely agree. Lean into it. It's not a negative. It makes you a exactly. stronger organization. It, it helps get stuff out of your blind spots and helps your team be more prepared on so many different levels. 
So excellent point, Joseph. Uh, and thank you, Nikki and Haley, for your comments as well. Um, moving right ahead, uh, gosh, I could talk, talk with you all for three or four hours here. Um, so let's talk about Rutgers Supply Chain Management Program. You know, clearly uh, well-regarded from across industry. Uh, Haley, I think, mentioned the, the Gartner rankings that it's appeared on. So what makes it, and, and uh, Nikki, I'll start with you. Um, as someone has clearly gone through it, right, uh, and here, here to talk about it, what makes the Rutgers approach uh, to supply chain management uh, so special? Yeah, so as you can see, two degrees later, I love Rutgers. <laughs> I've had really good experiences from beginning to end uh, with the program, but I think something that sets the supply chain program apart from so many others, the first thing that comes to mind is just the professors and the staff. I think they've all been really great to work with and in multiple aspects, I think one being that they're just really accessible. They show how much they care about the program and how much they want to help the students and a multitude of ways. And they always want to answer questions and help you find opportunities moving forward. And they just want to see you succeed. So that was definitely a big thing for me. And I think also just the fact that so many of the professors do have um, that industry experience that they can then apply to their classes. I think it just made the learning experience so much better to kind of have that real world example being implemented and not just, you know, showing slides or showing things in a textbook, um, being able to get that aspect and see how professional and how much experience they have and being able to kind of lean on them for that expertise when I was looking into, you know, jobs and different opportunities for myself just made it a really good support system, not only from the classroom, but also outside of the classroom. Such a great point. And, and, you know, um, gosh, Joseph and what he has experienced in his career, almost 40 years out there doing it and then bringing all that into a classroom so that y'all learn not only from what I'm hearing Nikki say, not only from the textbooks and established best practices and the curriculum, but man, the stories. And let me tell you about when when I was going through it, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? So that's a great, <laughs> and you know, that's a that's a great for our listeners out there. I've long held that as you're evaluating not not only colleges and universities, but certificate programs, tech schools, whatever, make sure you know who you're gonna be learning from, right? Don't stop it yeah. at the 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 name of the institution or what have you. Make sure you know who you're gonna be learning from. All right, so Haley, what else would you add to, to what Nikki shared about what makes uh, the Rutgers Supply Chain Management Program so successful? I could piggyback off of Nikki's comments again for another two to three hours. Um, <laughs> I could not believe what Rutgers had to offer its students. I'd say the way that they set up the curriculum, they really thought about what comes after more than just making sure they can pass a test and get a good grade. A lot of my professors didn't care as much about getting the right answers as long as you were learning from what you did wrong or what you could improve on. And that is irreplaceable to me. Um, they have offered out of class time to review for interview questions, multiple professors and share what they have learned and how things have changed with their colleagues that they still have in their network. That again, um, is more than I expected. I expected to get a degree and learn about the main principles and concepts in supply chain, but I got so much more out of it. I think the, the biggest part that sets Rutgers supply chain program apart from the other ones that I have witnessed, hands-on experience. Um, I personally was, like Nikki, working as a program manager of the client projects where we worked with companies, but I also got to participate as a student and work with the company, Robert Wood Johnson, um, and 
get their real world timely problems and create solutions for them and being able to learn their new systems, see what's actually being used. A lot of it is Excel. Getting that hands-on experience prepared me more than any test on um, multiple choice questions could have ever done. Mm, man, okay. So just that's good. hearing from Nikki and Haley uh, along those lines, that's got to make you feel pretty good. So what, <laughs> what, what do you think um, as a differentiator at Rutgers? Yeah, so I mean, I was a bit spoiled in that I came from two world-class companies, Allied and J&J. And one of the things about those companies is that they're always on a continuous improvement path, right? And that is in the culture. Um, and so when I came to Rutgers, that was my expectation. And um, Rutgers Supply Chain, which is a very young program, really, it's maybe 10 or 11 years old, the way that it is on this continuous improvement path on all levels, whether that be in the classroom, the experiential learning piece is huge at, uh, at Rutgers, right? I mean, we literally have uh, 200 students every semester doing projects, and that's not including internships and co-ops and all of those other kind of things. We have a really, uh, you know, the staff is strong. You got business guys like me, but you also have some great researchers as well. So mm. we have a really good hybrid and, and, and mix. Excellent leadership. And they give, they give the professors the, uh, the freedom, right, to be able to, uh, to leverage your strengths, mm. to leverage your strengths. And I, I think that's really um, a, a very important factor. Um, and every professor is very accessible to Nikki and to Haley and to everyone else. And the other thing I would just say, this is, this is purely about Nikki and Haley. They um, were program managers for me in the experiential learning um, uh, program. They kept me straight. I want to thank them for that, right? <laughs> At the same time, Rutgers had no problem with them being the student uh, representative on advisory boards with senior leaders of companies. No problem, right? You know, sometimes people would get, oh, no, well, we can't do that. You know, you go, they were in the meetings, in the advisory board meetings with senior leaders from all these different companies. And Rutgers said, do that. Get them involved. Get them engaged. And I think that's the thing about Rutgers that's a little bit different. Yeah, Rutgers is a huge school, but I think the supply chain team has a small, small school feel, if you will. And I think now I'm very proud of these two. And what we want to continue to build, too, is um, great alumni. We have great alumni, Len DeCandia, great alumni who actually helped start the supply chain program. Right. How do we, you know, how do we uh, emulate what Len has done with, you know, maybe Nikki and Haley will be the next Len, you know, kind of thing. And that's mm. what we want to try to do. That's really important uh, for Rutgers as well. So, Nikki, you said, I mean, Haley, you said it well. It's, it's, um, it's what you take out of it. It's what's out of the classroom. I think that's the big thing about about Rutgers. So I guess you can tell I like it here, and um, <laughs> and we want to encourage people to come. But you know, this is proof. It's it's Nikki and Haley. They're the examples, not me. That's right. That is right. And I love the, what you mentioned about empowering um, you know students of you know to sit in a chair, make the decisions, yeah. have the conversations. That's what it's about. Um, okay, you mentioned Lynn DeCandia. Um, Interesting, you know, you you read my mind, Joseph. Um, so we had a Kelly Barner and I had a great opportunity to sit down with Linda Candia. Uh, it's probably been a couple months ago, 
And uh, folks, we'll include the link in the show notes of this episode, uh, the, the link to that episode. And what a great, much like the three of y'all, what a great storyteller and just a fountain of knowledge. Uh, a couple of things I loved, and I think Nikki and Joseph both had a chance to listen. I'd love to get y'all's thoughts, and of course, we'll get Haley's take too. But uh, one of the things he mentioned is, um, you know, growing up in the melting pot that is the U.S., right? Um, as he, uh, as a as a kid, on Friday nights, all of his friends would be running home after a full days of you know playing and school and all that stuff, and they'd all have pizza. But Lynn's mother gave him fish soup. That's what he was going to get. <laughs> And they still have it. So evidently, it's, it's got to be a, a legendary recipe. And then the, on a more serious note, one of the things that I love talking about is, is trust and the power of trust. And Lynn really doubled down on that and, and spoke about once you've got trust, not only can you move mountains internally with your supply chain organization and, and your supply partners and all that, but equally, if not more important, once you have trust with the customer, it changes everything, right? So love the interview. Uh, we'll include a link in it uh, in in the uh, show notes here. Uh, Nikki, I think you had a chance to listen to a portion of that. What was one of your favorite moments there from Lynn? Yeah, I think he had a lot of really great points. And I think just his contributions, of course, to Rutgers and just to his field in general have been great. So I think listening to his perspectives on a lot of the things you talked about was really insightful and really cool to listen to. But um, something that stuck out to me that I thought was really interesting was the point that he made about how CEOs uh, value their suppliers and the importance of their suppliers, it should be of equal value to a lot of their customers. And I think that he was saying that a lot of CEOs find success in that, but it also puts pressure on chief procurement officers um, to find that value in just growth in the uh, in the organization as a whole. So I think that whole portion, that whole segment that you guys went into that and kind of unpacked, that was really interesting to think about because I think that is a perspective that gets overlooked sometimes. So yeah, yeah I really enjoyed that whole discussion. Nikki, great point. And he also mentioned during that same segment, if I'm, my memory uh, is right, how he always was preoccupied with the health of his and the welfare of his suppliers' employees and how they're you know really important part of the overall ecosystem. So I love that point there. So true. Um, Joseph, I think you, you were able to, to listen to that. What's one of the things that stood out uh, to you? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I like to go back to the trust thing because, um, you know, and and uh, triangulate that with what we talked about with risk. Trust is the foundation of not having, of eliminating risk, mm. right? Whether it would be with your customers or your suppliers or whatever it is. So making sure that that trust mark never is wavered is very, very key and something that obviously, you know, Len worked on on both sides of the fence. What is our patients and our customers? What do we must do to ensure trust vis-a-vis our credo at, at Johnson & Johnson and certainly our supply base. So I think that always was an emphasis of him. I think he's also someone who recognized that, um, I'll call it the digitization of the sourcing world and how to connect things. I think that became you know very, very important to him. And the other thing is the supplier relationship management piece of things, um, you know, very, very critical. So, um, you know, I've had a chance to work with him. So just a great thought leader in, in this space. And I know he continues to be a thought leader in this space. And the other thing is, you know, um, he's also been involved on a personal level in uh, people with special needs and things like that. And um, I think that's a very important aspect. And, and actually, in my own personal life, 
I've kind of carried that on and I work with a group of people, some from J&J, uh, where we've developed a leadership program for people with special needs. Mm, and it's, it's just what we do. And, and it actually came from some of the things that Len sponsored there. I retired, connected with these people and kind of kept it going. And just the other piece from a Rutgers standpoint, if I may, you know, I think he's, um, I would say, a benchmark alumnus, if you will. Certainly he helped start the program. But we want to, uh, as a role model, we want to see, we want to see our alumni be involved like he is, you know, and that doesn't, you don't have to be the creator of something, but that engagement, that kind of pushing us for continuous improvement. Uh, I think that's really, really important as well. So it's just some of the reflections I've had uh, about the, you know, the video, but also just knowing and working together. I love that. I love the, the kind of one of the themes I heard you share there, Joseph, is leadership doesn't, doesn't start and stop with your functional role. It's what else are you doing for others outside of the, you know, what Absolutely. you do for a living? Um, and folks, um, go check out that episode. Uh, a great conversation. It sounds like Linda Candia not only talks to talk, but he walks to walk. And that's really important for all of us here. Haley, uh, when you hear Nikki and Joseph talk about some of these things that, um, uh, that they took away from that conversation, what's one thing that comes to your mind, Haley? Um, I really like the piece about trust when you're working in a big corporation. You know, for us, it is about safety and well-being. And having that in your network of suppliers is the main thing. It is the staple and foundation of the relationship you have and your ability to operate and keep the business going. Um, For us, uh, we work very closely with our EHS team, our environmental health and safety. We want to make sure that they can trust us with their employees, not only just from a relationship of a contract, right, Um, but the the day-to-day human beings that are helping us do what we do and keep that purpose alive. Um, So I think that is something that a lot of companies as well is looking at is strengthening their EHS team, focusing on what can they do better, the continuous improvement piece and the frontliners like Glenn in that um, topic is someone that we want to continue working with and leading by example from what he has given us into this program. Man, I couldn't have said it better. I, I tell you, Joseph, between Nikki and Haley, uh, it, they are, we are going to be talking about the next Nikki and Haley's uh, in 20 years, I, 25 I think, years I now. know so. I know <laughs> so. <laughs> Man. Um, okay. So let's do this. Uh, as we start to kind of come down the home stretch here, I'd, I'd love to kind of pick Nikki and Haley's brain a little bit more in particular around what you want to do in industry. You know, How do you want to make your mark and why? So Nikki, how, how would you address that question? Yeah, so I think that definitely getting my master's in healthcare analytics has shifted a lot of my perspective. And I think just combining my supply chain undergrad with my healthcare analytics graduate uh, experience has been really great. And I think that in industry, I can definitely see myself staying in the supply chain area just within the healthcare space. Uh, I think obviously with uh, the pandemic and everything, um, it's become just so important. And I think that's where a lot of my interest in the space has kind of grown. So I definitely can see myself in that area, um, specifically having to do maybe with hospital operations or just procurement uh, overall. I think that that's definitely the areas that have been in the forefront of my mind as I continue my job search. And um, now that I'm closing out my degree. So, yeah. 
Well, so uh, as you continue your job search, let me ask you this. And I'm going to ask both these same questions to Haley. Um, what is, if you had to, and it doesn't start and stop with one thing, but if you had a short list of things you really are passionate about and seeing in, in your next position from your employer, what's one thing on that short list that's really important to you? Um, one thing that I definitely think of is just something that in leadership in general that I've grown to really like, whether it was a professor or an employer, um, just having someone who is really open to not only teaching me the things that are maybe specific to tasks I'm working on or things that I'm doing, but just in the bigger picture and the grand scheme of things wants to give me as much knowledge and experience as a whole as I can get. I ask a lot of questions. I'm curious about a lot of things. So I think just having a leader that can not only lead by example, but be able to provide me with, you know, an overall view of a lot of different things, not just what's specifically pertaining to something that I need to get done. Uh, just an overall good teaching experience is something that I think I've always responded to really well and has been a really good experience for me. Love that. So you're really, it sounds like uh, a holistic learning experience is really important to you in your uh, in your next role. Um, and, and just, I'm going to get your take on both Nikki and Haley's responses in just a minute. But Haley, same two questions for you. First, uh, tell us, how do you want to make your mark in industry and, and why? The why I'll say first. So the reason I came to the mix again of an undergrad in supply chain and now healthcare analytics is my grandfather um, and more specifically his care. He had kidney failure and he was put on the dialysis machine. And at first it was taking a lot out of his life, quality of life, um, as well as hours he spent going and driving to those sites where they did that um, for him. They cleaned his blood through the dialysis machine and that treatment. Um, and over time, there came the option of hemodialysis. So that is at-home care where you can have that same treatment done, but from the comfort of your own home, it's less aggressive on the body. And it did extend his life by 10 years. 10 years. Wow. wow. Um, in kidney failure and was able to spend and make the most precious moments with my family. He is my mentor, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. And seeing how it improved that quality and length of his life by something as so simple as uh, doing it from your own home. My mom and my aunt were able to learn how to do that for him and give him his treatment. There was less people coming into the house, so it exposed him to significantly less amount of germs in new environments. Um, so having that and seeing how that can be innovative and changed and improved over time is something that I want to make an impact on, make a mark. That's why I'm working at Mark right now. They're doing great research with Keytruda and how it affects different types of cancers as well as Alzheimer's research. So I don't see myself leaving a company like this that has that mission of changing and being the innovators in that market. Um, so that's how I ended up with this major. Um, I see myself working in that. I really do want to start some sort of research foundation towards those medical devices, as well as um, improving supply chain so that from all aspects, whether it's procurement or sustainability, we're working on something that's for a large group of people who have been infected by a disease or an illness. Um, something that I'd want to see from my company is a better work-life balance so that we can make those connections with our family. I think it's really important that we don't make work our entire life. You know, it's supposed to be the means to give you the life that you want. 
and being passionate about your job is really important to me. You know, then you never work a day in your life. Um, mm. So allowing that freedom with your employees and having that mentorship with your managers where they're willing to let you make mistakes and take the reins and learn from them so that you can bring your fresh mindset and perspective onto things, I think is huge. And we'll see a lot in this next generation of employees. Okay, Joseph, thank you, Haley. Man, Haley and Nikki both uh, gave us plenty to think about in their answers of, of how they want to impact and shape uh, global business, global supply chain, why, and of course, what they're looking for in, uh, in, in their position and their career. Joseph, what comes to your comment on what you heard there from Nikki and Haley? Yeah, I mean, I, I try to process it into the common denominator in that, first of all, they're, the, to have intellectual curiosity, that's what they have. Um, so I think that's super important. And I think that's for, for young people going into anything. You know, as someone who was hiring people, I looked for, not that you were the expert in everything, but did you have that intellectual curiosity? And the other piece of it is do what's in your heart. Now, I know that doesn't sound very technical or whatever, but if you have that intellectual curiosity and you do what's in your heart, i.e., I want to go into the healthcare because, right? I want to help hospital systems because, just to use that as an example. If you do what's in your heart and you have that intellectual curiosity, I mean, that is the that is the foundation. Um, and that's what we really uh, try to encourage our students to be. They're, they're this way naturally, not because anybody told them to be this way, right? right? But, um, you know, that's kind of the common denominator that I, that I hear between both of them. The other thing I would just say, too, is that if you look at anyone, if, if you look at the way you influence, one of the biggest things that is uh, something where students and professionals of 20 years, they don't know how to really relate to their bosses, mm. to be able to share, maybe have a debate, whatever the case may be. These two folks never shied away from being with people that were more senior than they were. And so they practiced and they built a muscle in having that natural way. So that's another little bit of advice I would give to anyone, whether you're just starting out or you've been in business for a while, you know, put yourself out there. You know, people above you, they're really, at the end of the day, whatever personality they have, they're looking to for you to have an impact and they're looking to learn from you. And I gotta be honest, as a professor now, I'm learning from them every day. You know, they have a perspective that may be different than mine. Fantastic. So those are the kind of the three things that I see from uh, Nikki and Haley and what they discussed. Good things come in three all the time. Uh, <laughs> um, and, I, and three is all I could remember. So that's another thing. <laughs> well, one of the things I want to touch on there, and, and uh, then we're going to uh, kind of learn a little bit more about why you love doing what you do, Joseph, is it's, it's uh, you know, we've, we've lost our ability in so many different ways, it seems like. It's going to be a big generalization, but we've forgotten how to disagree. And that is so important. Yeah. Um, of course, harmony is important and and consensus and, and building uh, consensus and, and agreement. But man, when we disagree and we do it professionally and respectfully and constructively, that's where we get big um, eureka moments and, can, and big leaps ahead for our continuous improvement across so many different levels. So I love that you said that, Joseph, because sometimes I know when I was uh, um, earlier in my career, 
You had to pick pick your battles and pick those moments and kind of summon all your courage to disagree, especially if you're disagreeing with someone, you know, the CEO or what what have you. But we got to have a lot more of that and the frankness in the industry for sure. Okay, so before as we start to wrap here in a second, first I'm going to kind of uh, learn a little bit more about why Joseph loves what he does, and we're going to make sure our listeners know how to connect with all three of our guests here, Joseph. I knew, before I even met you here and doing my homework about you, I knew you loved doing what you do at Rutgers. So why is that? And give us one of your favorite, maybe recent moments from the classroom, so to speak. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, I like giving back um, for whatever it's worth, for whatever they can get out of it. It certainly gives me an energy uh, from the students give me an energy that then I can then, you know, put out there. So it's really about for me, giving back and sharing. I love what I do too because Rutgers gives me the freedom. And I think that as a professor, that's really important. They don't put me in a box. Um, They let me experiment with things. They support me in things. I'm like, wow, you know, they asked me to to do a fellowship on innovative teaching. And I'm like, wow, you, you asked me? And yeah, and I did it. And I, you know, I'm just an industry guy, right? And they and Dr. Key asked me to do it and, and the learning I got from it. So it's not, it's in the classroom, it's outside of the classroom. Rutgers continues to give me the exposure to companies on the outside. Because quite frankly, I don't think if I, I think if I didn't have that, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be current mm. at all, mm. right? You really want to know. So I think Rutgers on all dimensions, but most importantly, how do I help the students? You know, uh, how do I help them, whether it be uh, from a career perspective, um, just coaching them in the classroom? I hope that you see that, you know, Nikki and Haley, they, they articulate things really well. They think about things. They bring things that they've heard, not just from me, but from other professors. That that's kind of gives me um, an energy uh, to continue to do it. And like I said, Rutgers is, um, you know, just giving me the opportunities. Um, they gave me an opportunity to be the interim director of a master's program that these two folks are in. And I'm not an analytics genius by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but, you know, they said you can do it. And I, and so that's what I love about Rutgers gives kind of gives me, uh, you know, a challenge because, I want to continuously learn as well. They let me do it. And we've got a bunch of really good students, really good students. And I also will say Rutgers also probably has one of the most diverse student bodies in the nation. Mm. And I think that's really good uh, because that's where a lot of learning takes place, not just for the students, but also for me. So sure. lots of different reasons. I still have a little left in the tank too, so that that helps, right? So, uh, yeah, but that's, it. it's been a good it's been a good ride so far. I can tell, and I believe it. And uh, we're all the industry is grateful that folks that have done things like you've done in industry, then find a way to help other folks uh, learn and, and go out and move their own mountains. So, thank you, Joseph, You're and welcome. Lynn's out there, and of course, Haley's and Nikki's out there. Uh, the industry is going to be in a much better place uh, because of the talent coming in and and challenging us to do better. Um, okay, so I want to do this. So Nikki Gaboff, uh, really have enjoyed your perspective here today. Uh, I can't wait to see what you and Haley both do, the big things that y'all uh, accomplish in your careers and, and what's next. Uh, how can folks uh, connect with you, Nikki, if they want to compare notes or who knows, maybe a job opportunity or something? How can folks connect with you, Nikki? 
Uh, LinkedIn, I think, is probably the best to get in touch with me. I'm always checking, refreshing through messages and just going through and browsing on there. So I definitely think that that would probably be the best way to get in touch with me. Wonderful. And we're going to make it easy. We're going to include a link to Nikki's uh, LinkedIn profile in the bottom of the show notes. So Nikki, thank you for your time here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. You bet. I really have enjoyed you and Haley and Joseph's perspective. Haley, Haley Carlson. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing about uh, your time at Rutgers and what you're doing at Merck. How can folks do the same? Uh, connect with you, compare notes, you name it. LinkedIn, of course, and you can reach me at my email. I mean, if you're out there and you want to connect, this is a topic that's not going away, and I think great minds think alike. Agreed, agreed. So, uh, folks, check out Connect with Nikki and Haley, uh, and uh, I'll tell you, learn like me, learn from them. I tell you what, I've really enjoyed their perspective. Joseph, all right, Joseph Agresta, uh, Assistant Professor of Professional Practice at Rutgers Business School. Uh, we're going to see that New York Times bestseller book come out at some point. But uh, just, <laughs> <laughs> and who knows, maybe Nick or Haley will write it. We'll see. But there Joseph, you go. They'll ghostwrite it for me because they're smarter. <laughs> so how can folks connect with you after today's show? Yeah, no, link, LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn user, as you guys both know. So uh, LinkedIn or my email. I know you guys have my email as well. So feel free to email me anytime. Um, so certainly uh, get right back to you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Joseph. Uh, pleasure to have you with us here today. Thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, man, we brought it. Uh, Nikki, Haley, and Joseph brought it by the truckload here today. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Uh, we've Again, industry is going to be so much better off by these incredibly bright minds that are that are coming in and really doing it now, which is, is, is why we entitled this series The Now Generation. It's not the next generation. They're already doing big things and making a big impact. So, and, and we're all thankful and grateful for that. So, listeners, hopefully you enjoy this episode as much as I have. Connect with our guests. Uh, but most importantly, hey, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.